Dear Heavenly Father, just um, thank you for this morning, for the sun that we got to come here with so that we can gather and delight in each other and in you. And just ask that you are part of Jill's words this morning, uh, that you can bless her and bless us as we think about perseverance. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so this morning we get to hear from Jill Noble. She and her husband, John, are members of the North Church and have served as high school leaders for several years, last seven. She is a writer, a speaker, and a personal trainer, and she delights in offering meaningful encouragement and inspiration to sisters sojourners. It's her exceeding joy to look together with others to Jesus, the author and sustainer of our life stories. Jill's earthly sanctuary is with her husband on their peaceful little acreage where she enjoys her nine pet chickens and an adorable mini sheepadoodle named Phoebe. Her four adult children visit often for eggs, good time, <laughs> puppy snuggles, and warm meals. Will you please welcome Jill? Good morning. First of all, just thank you. You guys are busy, busy mamas, aren't you? So thank you for choosing to spend your time here with me this morning and with each other. Um, I absolutely love this ministry. I wish that I had something like that when our kids were little. So this is, this is beautiful, and it's really a gift for me to be a part of this this morning. So um, my name is Jill Noble, and I am super grateful to be here. I've been looking forward to talking to you about God-enabled perseverance. How many of you are Norwegian or Swedish in heritage? Yep. Yeah, yeah, you betcha, right? I, I recently learned to my surprise that I'm apparently 87% Scandinavian. I probably shouldn't have been surprised, though. My grandma was named um, Ollie Olson, and I had a grandpa Johnson and great-grandpa Purr who um, came off the boat from Sweden. My oldest son and I had the really great privilege of getting to go to Sweden a couple summers ago, where we stayed with um, new friends who became like family to us. They invited us into their home and showed us many lovely places in Sweden. And they also taught us several Swedish words and concepts. One, probably my favorite, was fika. Anyone know fika? So fika in Sweden is something that Swedes have, I would say, a near religious relationship with where they have morning and afternoon coffee breaks. They just Life just stops and they have coffee, usually accompanied with a cinnamon bun or a pastry. I like that idea. That was, and so we did fika all, all the time while we were in Sweden. One late afternoon... Um, I'm sort of sensitive to caffeine, and so I asked the Swedish server if I could have decaf coffee. And he, he looked at me, he crossed his arms, tipped his head, and said, you're an American. <laughs> so there was another Swedish word that we learned when we were in Sweden, and that is legume. Let me make sure this is warmed up and going. There we go, legume. In English, there's not really a, um, a word that means legume, but loosely translated, according to this book, which if you're Swedish, if you were one of the people that raised your hands, you would enjoy this little book, Legume, the Swedish Art of Balanced Living. Um, not super biblical, but it's, it's a cute little read and fun. But um, that book says there's not really a, um, 
an, an English translation, but loosely translated, it means not too little, not too much, just enough. If you're um, note takers, that's the, that's the um, intro into what um, you can take notes on if you'd like to jot that down. One of the things I'll talk to you about this morning is how in, in God's economy, each day's strength from him is legume. It's just enough. One of my favorite things in the whole world, and we got to do that a little bit at our table already this morning, um, is sitting across from a friend with a warm mug of coffee or a tea in hand and talking together about the faithfulness of God and recalling his goodness from scripture and from our life stories. I, I wish that I could sit across from each one of you and hear some more of the faithfulness of God's writing over your lives, but this morning I, I have the privilege of sharing with you some Bible truths and stories from my own life about how God gives us daily strength and how he enables us to persevere by providing for us, preparing us for what's ahead, and protecting us. So first, God strengthens us each day through his daily provision. As a little kid, I used to hide money in a jar under my bed. I wasn't saving for anything in particular. I just was storing up for a rainy day, whatever that meant in my seven-year-old brain. I think I was hiding my money from my brother, too, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of money. I just saved every penny I had and kind of hoarded it, saved it just in case. In Exodus 16, when the Israelites were hungry in the wilderness, one of God's means of provision was through daily bread that miraculously arrived every morning for them to eat. The Lord gave them gathering protocol. He said that they were to gather as much as they could eat. They were instructed not only to eat until they were satisfied, but until they were stuffed full of his provision. But as you know, this manna came with a stipulation. They were not to keep any leftovers for later. They weren't to hoard up and gather extra. There were no doggy bags, no to-go containers for late-night snacking. In fact, they couldn't store up those provisions. Um, if they did, manna bread that was kept overnight, bread worms, and stank. And this was to teach them that their faithful God would provide every morning for them, day in, day out, in the wilderness. I readily admit, if I was one of those Israelites in the wilderness, I would have been tempted to gather just a little extra manna just in case. I mean, what if it didn't fall the next day, right? So that would have been, that is still my temptation. I, I don't, I, I want you to know I don't have cash under my bed anymore. <laughs> but the inclination of my heart is still to hoard. I might block out extra time, save back expendable energy or um, keep back resources just, just in case. And of course, these can all be wise and good practices. Having margin in our lives is a, is a wise practice. And most of you young mamas, I'm willing to um, bargain, have a need of more sleep, not less. After the year 2020, I would imagine most households represented here have a pack of toilet paper stashed somewhere just in case. So these are, these are wise practices, but I, I ask my own heart and I ask you a couple of questions this morning. Are we keeping for ourselves extra portions beyond what we need just in case? 
And are we trusting in full reliance upon God to meet our needs and then rest satisfied with what he gives? As the Israelites depended every day upon God for their manna, we must wake expectant that manna will fall. I love what author C.S. Lewis said regarding this. He said, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. After the Israelites were given instructions for gathering their manna, they were given a promise in Exodus 16:7. This promise takes my breath away. What God said to them was, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. I love this promise from God. Scars from eight orthopedic surgeries mark my body. In the very early morning, on the day of the biggest of those eight surgeries, as I was waking in the dark, my husband whispered to me and said, today you're going to see the glory of the Lord. He was believing for me that I would see the Lord's hand of goodness on my life that day, and that from my desperately needy state, God was going to provide for me in a way that was going to show his glory. Every morning, the Israelites would receive their daily manna, bread to the full, legume, just enough for that day. And in their daily provision, and in Jesus' daily provision for us, we see the glory of the Lord. This is true, ladies, and I, I would love to testify to the trustworthiness and the goodness of God's provision by sharing just a little six-month snapshot from the noble household from when our kids were littler. How many of you have, I know you do, because I talked to some of you who has five-year-olds, three-year-olds, couple-month-olds. Do you have babies in that category? Yeah. So um, 23 years ago, my life might have looked a little bit more like yours. 23 years ago, we, our kids, our three older kids were five years old, three, and six months. Um, in that, that summer, our five-year-old um, broke his arm in a really bad way that um, his humerus was almost snapped in half. It was 90% displaced. He needed two surgeries to fix it. It was quite traumatic. Um, the surgeon called it a nasty break. Um, he had three times a week rehab for like ever, it felt like. But he, um, we learned that our baby, that little six-month-old, had asthma and was pretty significant. And we started homeschooling, right? Why not? We wanted to live in the country, and so we sold our home and moved 20 minutes farther out from town. And I'm not kidding. We were in that house two weeks. And just because this is the way I roll, everything was unboxed. I think the pictures were hung. And my husband came home from work and said they were offering him another job in another state, and he wanted to take it. <laughs> so eight weeks after moving in, we moved out to another state. And when we got to where we were going, we had occupational therapy, physical therapy. Our baby had ear tube surgery and an epic tripping accident. The morning we were moving in, my daughter needed stitches across her forehead. Do you know, and this was six months, I remember evenings during that six-month period when I would nurse my baby with hardly a drop of energy in me, and I would think, I can't do tomorrow, I can't do another day, but do you know, new strength, you do know this, new strength came from the Lord every next day. And so all these years later, it's so sweet to recall again God's provision for me and my family during those um, tough months when that accident happened and our son broke his arm. Get this. 
he was wearing this t-shirt. So it's Noah's Ark with a rainbow on it, and it says God keeps his promises. The surgical staff didn't want to cut this off him, so they waited till he was under to remove it carefully. And this is a little Ebenezer for me. I love this t-shirt. It reminds me a lot about and how I pray for my oldest son still. Um, the occupational therapist that we, um, that we, where we moved to had specialized training in nerve therapy that was really cutting edge. It literally changed the outcome of his surgery. It was a really unique issue that he had, and um, it, it changed his, his arm and his healing. As a brand new and fairly clueless homeschool mom and a little overwhelmed at that point, um, God introduced me to a mentor in that town who literally um, invested in me and shaped um, how the next 20 years of homeschooling would go for me. Um, and God provided a home like he always does. It's a hilarious and miraculous story for another time about um, how a man sold us his home while his wife was away for the weekend. <laughs> So it's the best story of the nine homes that we lived in. So we've moved a ton, and that was one of our favorite places that we ever lived. Like the Israelites became confident that their daily manna would appear every morning, we too can be confident and depend upon the fact that God's grace, through a fresh supply of grace and mercy, will arrive each new day. Every day we should wake expectant that that manna will come just enough for this day. Number two on your handout, God strengthens us each day by preparing us for what's ahead. In 1 Samuel, there was an infamous battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. The Philistines had an epic tool of destruction. What was his name? Goliath, right. Okay, he was over nine feet tall. He wore armor that covered his body and carried a spear twice as long and heavy as any man could carry. Plus, Goliath had his own personal shield bearer. I, I learned that recently, didn't know that. He walked before him. This guy was a force to be reckoned with. But ultimately, like you know, this battle between the Israelites and the Philistines in 1 Samuel, it wasn't one of wits or brawn because this was the battle of the Lord's. And the Israelites had God's appointed young David who, with his sling and stones, would be emboldened to go head to head well, actually, it was head to belly button and toe to toe with this giant. For years, God had been preparing David for this fight of his life. God ordained and he prepared David to slay Goliath, and consequently, the entire Philistine army was defeated. So that part you probably all know, and maybe you're starting to make a grocery list or something, but this is really a big deal. Listen to this. The method that God used for preparing David to be a giant slayer, it could have been viewed as kind of mundane. He was the son of a sheep breeder in Bethlehem. And so he grew up uh, tending sheep. As a boy tending sheep, he had to face and destroy wild beasts that prowled around and tried to kill the sheep that he was responsible for. So all alone, all day long, David practiced slinging stones, which he became skillful and accurate in throwing. While David fought these lions and bears that tried to steal his sheep, God was growing in this defender, boldness and courage and a very practical skill that God was going to use one day, not just to save sheep, but an entire Israelite army. 
as he was marking on his journey to the front lines of battle to face the giant, David told King Saul in 1 Samuel, when I was keeping sheep and a lion or bear would come and take a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I have struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David faced Goliath with his well-worn sling and a pouch containing five stones, the weapon that God had been preparing him all of his life to use. Do you see the lions and the bears that David encountered in his sheep-keeping years? They were stepping stone problems for David on the path toward meeting Goliath. They were preparatory trials, training ground that would develop him practically as well as spiritually for a much greater trial. Ultimately, it was holy God that gave David the boy, David the king, his boldness. But it was also through the experiences that God gave him of smaller preparatory victories. God built these into David's life and confidence and ability, which equipped him for future greater triumphs. In the Old Testament, the Israelites gathered stones of remembrance, Ebenezer's, they were called, to remind them of God's provision. Ebenezer's are stones of remembrance of God's provision. Did everyone at your table get a little bear? The color isn't significant, but this little bear is a gift of an Ebenezer. I mean, this little bear represents a trial or trials that you have gone through that the Lord has given you victory in. It's a small token of remembrance that for your good and for God's glory, he is preparing you for what's ahead as you deal with your own lions or bears this week. Some bears are bigger some lions are more fierce. By God's enabling, we can be transformed day after day, bear after bear, into overcomers. Fill in this blank, either with your pen or in your mind, with your own giant, your own Goliath. God gave me victory over the lion and the bear, and he will give me victory over Frightened by scary noises while walking down the yellow brick road in the dark forest, Dorothy, Tin Man, and Scarecrow wonder who might be out there that might be interested in eating them. Collectively, they determine that it could be lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, I'd like to share a personal story with you of God's preparing me for greater trials through my own small bear called Math. <laughs> My own dark forest mantra down a little section of my yellow brick road went something like lions and tigers and math. Oh, my. My torturous relationship with math began in first grade, Mrs. Meadows' first grade class. She introduced us to something called an abacus. Do you guys know what that is? Oh, my. It had 
colored beads and she moved them around and the beads were distracting and the thing was confusing and I got a tummy ache. Usually at math time, I ended up being sent to the nurse's station frequently during math and um, consequently I missed a lot of first grade math. All the way through high school, fast forward 11, 12 years, math still gave me a tummy ache. Um, and because I was in a very small school, I only had 29 people in my graduating class. We had a very generous algebra teacher who gave us lots of extra credit. And so I always brought my grade up to an A. And so I graduated with an A in math, but I didn't know a whole lot of math and I couldn't apply it. Math continued to be a nemesis for me when I went to UW-La Crosse, but I was determined. I was gonna lean in, dig deep, and figure out this math thing. I needed to. The program I wanted to get into, you had to have a fairly strong math background. So I was looking at a mountain going to college. The first day and every day of math class that semester, I sat in the very front row, the very center seat. Um, I was completely unaware of the several hundred people behind me. <laughs> the first day of class when Dr. Sabota held his chalk on the board and was writing and he turned around and paused and said, does anyone have questions? I just assumed he was talking to me. So I raised my hand and began that day asking my questions. Math class after math class, that's how it went. I would um, ask questions when I couldn't help myself. I went to tutoring sessions and I studied until uh, 2 a.m. in the morning, I'm not kidding, I remember that, on algebra problems. My first math test, I got an F. <laughs> Resolved not to give up, I went back to that front seat in the math class with a couple hundred people behind me, asked my questions, and this went on and on for the semester. I was trained in mathematics that semester, but I was also trained in the trenches of tenacity, grit, determination, and perseverance. It's no surprise Dr. Sabota learned my first name that semester. My fellow students did as well. What was surprising was the phone call that I got from him after we turned in our final exam. He wanted to call, he said, um, because he wanted to tell me about my grade. He said, he hesitated, and he said that I had gotten a 99% on the comprehensive final. It was the highest grade in the class. But he said he was sort of apologizing. He couldn't give me an A because I had had so many Fs and Ds on the way to that A+. plus. He was giving me a B, which I took and ran with. <laughs> mm -hmm. he, he couldn't give me an A in that class, but he did um, graciously and gladly write a recommendation for me for the sports medicine program that I was applying for, a letter that no doubt was significant in me getting into the program. Though I couldn't have known it then, that intro to math class in the late 1980s, it was training ground for me. It was deepening my tenacity, resolving, deepening my resolve, and preparing me for much bigger things ahead. God prepares us for what's ahead. Do you see that in your own life? I want to encourage you to look back with eyes of faith over your life and see the wonders that God has wrought in delivering you from the paws of bears and the mouths of lions, and believe with renewed faith that he will deliver you and give you victory once again. God gave me victory over that college algebra class, and I am thankful. Many other lions, that's a, that's a tiny thing, really, isn't it, that little math class, but it was significant in that it did prepare me for, for some of the things that were coming, including um, over almost a 10-year journey through an orthopedic nightmare. 
I was a competitive triathlete and distance runner, and now scars from eight orthopedic surgeries mark my body, and I won't ever run again. Early in my 40s, I was pulled to the sideline of life, and I had my bony hip joint replaced with titanium. In a sense, it would be nice if the story ended there. <laughs> it didn't. After three and a half years after that surgery of limping in extreme pain and being told by many orthopedic professionals that nothing was wrong with my hip, a world expert surgeon at Mayo Clinic uh, performed a complicated surgery and he redid my, uh, my total hip surgery. It turned out that first surgery all those years ago had been majorly botched. My hip had never in all that time been fully attached. It had been loose for three and a half years, creating a cascade of other problems. Define pain, right? You know, scale of zero to 10 and I would go, seven? I didn't know, you know, now I'm like, it was a 20. <laughs> it was bad. So a cascade of other problems, including um, dented titanium. I didn't know titanium could dent. Um, shredded musculature that literally crippled my athletic body and sent me on to four more surgeries. One later, uh, one doctor later called that first surgery an abomination of a hip replacement. For over two years after that big surgery at Mayo, I was unable to stand in place for more than two minutes as I slowly healed and rehabilitated to a new normal. I praise God that I'm standing here today, that, and I don't need to use that little chair behind me. Unrelenting and debilitating pain defined me for so many years. I, I lost sight of the me that used to be, and four of those years were so dark and constantly filled with off the charts. There is a 20 on the zero to 10 pain scale. <laughs> I wasn't sure I'd make it through. God prepared me, and he went before me and with me through that devastating season. That, and he taught me. He taught me a lot, but three things. He taught me that beauty comes through brokenness. He taught me that the path of suffering leads to glory. And every day, the Lord gives us sometimes barely enough, but always just enough strength for that day. So number three, God strengthens us each day by his daily protection. Last winter, I discovered the secret sauce combination for not just enduring Minnesota winters, but actually enjoying them. Electric hand warmers from Amazon and snowshoes. My kids gave me a pair for my birthday, and a few weeks later, in the spirit of companionship, I got my husband a pair for Christmas. I quickly discovered that it's a lot more enjoyable to snowshoe with him, and it's also easier. When walking behind him in deep, freshly fallen snow, <laughs> he stomps out a path ahead of me, and besides that, he's a big, tall guy, so he's a six-foot-two windbreak for me. He goes ahead of me cutting that trail, making a way through snow, and overall my trek is simply better. The Lord doesn't just tread a path ahead of us like my husband does through the snow for me. He treads on the heights of the earth in absolute sovereignty. The one who made the mountains, the wind, and the snow goes ahead and he makes a way for us to follow. Amos 4.13 says, he who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth,
The Lord God Almighty is his name. During a challenging season of work for my husband, I started asking him a question in the morning before he left for work. Right after he put his shoes on and before he headed out the door, I would routinely and gently inquire, who goes before you? I wanted to remind him that he wasn't alone, that he wasn't floundering in waist-deep snow, waiting, trying to make a trail on his own, that the way maker had gone ahead of him. No matter what happened or how difficult the things were that he was going to face that day, I wanted to remind him that the very presence of Almighty God went before him, with him, and behind him. We don't know what lies ahead, but we do know who goes before. The answer to the question, who goes before you? The Lord God Almighty is his name. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold. Our God in whom we take refuge. When we feel unprotected, it's good for our hearts and our souls to meditate on this, the truth of God's protective care over our lives. The one who treads the height of the earth goes before you. The Lord God Almighty is his name. <laughs> These things could not be more true. And yet, there may be times when we feel like we don't have the strength or the stamina to make it down our yellow brick road upright. The Apostle Paul addresses this subject when he says in 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, you can open, but I'm reading right from the text. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9 says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul is saying, yes, God sometimes gives us pressures or trials that are beyond our ability to endure. And Paul goes on to tell us, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Faithful, loving God doesn't want us to try to rally more of our strength when our tanks are empty. In times like these, he wants us, well, he wants us when our tanks are full. He wants us to rely on him. He wants us to take refuge in him. I feel the need to say that when we are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, like Paul said, there is a grace and there is a strength that comes through other people, skilled professionals, and even medical help. All of these have been protective graces of God in my own life. I imagine that each of you, every one of you, understands something of pain and loss, fear, rejection. You may know the sorrow of heart-splitting sadness over having to surrender dreams that were really precious to you, splintered, splintered into thousands of little pieces. I just, I want to tell you that I am sincerely sorry for that. I'm sorry for your pain. I also want you to know, even, even more importantly, something to be assured of, that Jesus is praying for you. In John 17, there's a prayer of Jesus to the Father where he prays for our protection. Scholars call this prayer the high priestly prayer. 
Right before this prayer, at the end of John chapter 16, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, he said, I have overcome the world. Immediately after saying this to them, the Bible says, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven, and for the next entire 26 verses, Jesus prays for his disciples, and he prays for us. In verse 20, Jesus makes it clear that he's praying for us who believe where he prays, I do not ask for these only, his immediate disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Have you believed in Jesus through the word of God and by the power of his spirit breathing over that? Jesus prays for me and you that Holy Father would keep us and guard us, that as we are in his, this world, we would be kept from the evil one. Comfort of comforts. Jesus prayed for us, and as our intercessor, he continues to pray for us. So how can we grow? What do we do? How do we grow in our knowledge and resolve to rely upon God? I have a handout for you. So if you um, want to open your paper, I, you know, I didn't want to just put the references. So I typed out the, the um, scripture verses. There's scriptures to meditate on, to conform your mind, songs to lighten your heart, and books to deepen your resolve. Ultimately, this is essential and bedrock foundational. You guys know this. It's God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Use these tools as you seek God, right? Trusting him and depending upon him for strength each day. Ladies were adding to that uh, song list last night. It was really fun. You probably have lots of things you could add to it too. I have a growing list of women that I affectionately call my gentle readers. I send gentle readers, if I didn't say that clearly. I send two short emails every month where I seek to encourage, inspire, and offer hope-filled words that point to Jesus to my sister sojourners. So I would be super grateful if you want to join my gentle reader group and be one of my readers. Um, if you would, there's with your bear, you got a little piece of paper. If you would print clearly your name and your email, I will gladly include you on my gentle and invite you into my gentle reader group. I would love that. And um, because I'm a gift giver kind of girl and I love presents, um, I, I'm going to do a little drawing. So I have a couple of fun things. I'll show you what those are later. So I'll pass a bucket around and you can drop your name in that. In closing, I would love to tell you about a favorite author friend of mine, Annie Johnson Flint. She's my friend. I'm not hers. <laughs> She's long gone, but I am looking forward to seeing her in heaven. Annie's words, coupled with the cost that she paid to write each letter of those words, multiply the depth and impact of her encouragement on my heart. Born on Christmas Eve, 1866, Annie Johnson Flint's life was hard from the beginning. Her mama died when she was just a couple years old, and then her dad died a few years later. She was adopted when she was six into a family who taught her to um, sing, love music, and write and read. And so she grew up to be a school teacher. In her early 20s, uh, symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis began to develop, and as her symptoms grew steadily worse, she was almost unable to walk, and soon after, she had to quit teaching. By her 30th birthday, her hands were disfigured, and she was no longer able to walk. What little sleep she got was poor because of her deteriorating joints, and I imagine that 
pain scale of zero to 10, I imagine she hovered around 20. <laughs> she was in extreme discomfort. And despite her crippling pain and the debilitation of her hands and her body, Annie became a prolific writer. As her degenerative disease progressed over the years, she endured much suffering, yet she continued to write. And what do you suppose she wrote about? Pain, suffering, loss? Nope. Remarkably, she often wrote about God's goodness, particularly amid trials and adversity. In her writing and poetry, she consistently reflected upon promises from God's word and his abiding presence in her life. Daily for over 40 years, she suffered extreme pain, immobility, and eventually became increasingly helpless until the point her joints became rigid, and she died when she was 65 years old. Her poems, which are saturated in biblical truth, are still read and sung today. My favorite of her poems, He Giveth More Grace, has been used by God to minister for decades to people walking through trials, pain, and suffering as she points to the boundless storehouse of strength and grace that's found in our Lord Jesus Christ. This poem is on your handout if you want to read along. I'd like to read it over you, and then I'll, I'll pray for you. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will abear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the sustainer of our souls. We thank you for that. Faithful God, you hem us in behind and before. You go before us. Lord God Almighty is your name. And we thank you, God, for laying your hand upon us. Father, I pray for these women and I pray for me. Our hearts will fail, but you are the one who strengthens our heart. Thank you for giving us strength for today bright hope for tomorrow. God, you are the one who lifts our chins. You're the defender and the sustainer of our souls. We love you, Lord, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jennifer said I could ask if there were any questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beauty comes through brokenness. The path of suffering leads to glory, and today's strength is just enough. You know, when you see that, actually, in the Bible, when the Lord really put that on my heart, that the suffering that I, you know, the physical suffering that I was going through was, was leading to glory. He was going to use it for his glory. You start to see that everywhere in the scriptures. It's like the Holy Spirit just enlightens that as you're reading. It's, uh, it, leads, it leads to glory. Suffering leads to glory. It did for Jesus, and it does for us. <laughs> 